following is a live copyrighted presentation. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time now for RadioLawTalk.com with your host, Frederick Penny, attorney at law. And now, RadioLawTalk.com. Radio Law Talk. And it's our numero tres, hour number three here on Radio Law Talk. Boy, I mean, talk about going by fast. Wow, I mean, this this is the exact opposite of what a seven-year-old kid feels on Christmas morning when his parents have said, we ain't opening presents before 8 o'clock, and you wake up at 4. Are you serious? <laughs> I remember as a kid, I knew all of the programming, and this was back when we saw a black-and-white television set. I saw more episodes of Mr. Ed waiting for my parents to wake up so we could open presents, but this has gone by really fast. Todd Kunin, uh, for the the third hour, filling in as the host for Fred Penny. Denise filled in for Fred as the host in the second hour. I took the first hour. Fred, on assignment, um, we miss you, buddy. We're looking forward to you coming back. And as usual, behind the glass, the man that chief cook and bottle washer, the one that keeps us all in line, Cal Hunter. He's waving. Hello there. Yes, yeah, very good. Uh, you know, when we were finishing up the thir- the second hour, we were talking about the Jesse Smollett case. And if you're listening to this on a podcast, and this is the only one you've listened to, go back and listen to the second hour of today's show so you'll get a little bit of background as to what we're talking about. But there is, before we get into case or no case in this hour, we need to finish up because there's one area that we didn't discuss. And it's an important area. Oh, well, it's I, I, it's really yeah a, a, a foundational element to that was that it, I, I did a quick some quick you know just looking around on the web when this case came in they they took 21 detectives off of their cases they immediately pulled guys off of other cases that were very important and they pulled off uh, 24 detectives expended up to a thousand man hours before they finally uncovered the truth. And that's why Mayor Emanuel is irritated and why he wants all and, of that and, money. And me being the judge, I was completely wrong because the reality of it is these are city employees right. that were taken and, and re, their energy reallocated toward the Smollett case. Correct. So I would have been a horrible judge. You would, would have just lost on appeal. No big deal. So, so the issue here, the issue here that we're going to talk about is... The determination made to dismiss this case was made by the state attorney, uh, somebody named Kim Fox. Now, when this case first started out, during the investigation, about the time the investigation shifted to where Smollett was starting to be viewed as a suspect and not necessarily a victim... Uh, An attorney who had previously worked for the Obama White House, for the Obama administration, reached out to Kim Fox um, as an intermediary between the small, on behalf of the Smollett family, because they were concerned with the direction of the investigation, i.e., you know the phone call. It's got to be a. He's being treated as a suspect now, not a victim. And what's going on here? And so that phone call was made. Michelle Obama reached out to Kim Fox, and because of that contact with her, she said that she recused herself. Now, 
if, if this were television, you would see I'm using the air quotes around the word recused. Apparently because, her definition of recused is different than the traditional yes. one. <laughs> but let's, let's look historically at how the word recused has been used. When Jeff Sessions, the attorney general, uh, when Trump became the president and the Russian hoax, the Russian investigation started, he recused himself so he had nothing to do with it. When Attorney General Lynch was was part of the investigation into Hillary Clinton in the email use. She recused herself because of the tarmac meeting between Bill Clinton and herself and allowed the decisions to be made by somebody else. So she took herself out of it. Well, apparently, Miss Fox has a different definition of recusal because Miss Fox is the one who came back in and directed that the case be dismissed. And when asked about, well, didn't you recuse yourself? She said, well, that was just a colloquialism. I mean, it didn't mean I was out of the case. It just kind of meant I was going to somebody else handle it. It, it, it. Basically, I said it, but I didn't say it. Almost like saying, but my fingers were crossed behind my back, so I didn't mean it. I and didn't it was opposite mean it. day. Yeah. Yeah, it was opposite day when I said it, so clearly I couldn't have meant it. Now, here's why this is important, because the FBI now is investigating the circumstances surrounding the sudden decision to dismiss this case. And this is going to the heart of Ms. Fox's involvement. And one of the articles that Cal sent, and Denise, I believe you have that up, what's it titled there? Uh, it's uh, Chicago prosecutor Kim Fox is open to outside investigation into the Smollett case, basically. basically I, we have nothing to hide. We think yeah, we did stuff she here. Ran, by the way, she ran for Cook County State's attorney on the basis, one of her platforms was transparency. And so <laughs> here she is, you know, recusing herself. And then in this secret hearing that she has, she's not recusing herself. Oh, what's a backdoor right. deal so, here and there? Well, it, it does, doesn't look right. Well, I'm not saying something's really wrong. No, but the point is, it just doesn't pass the smell test. Exactly. And whenever you get that, transparency becomes an issue. So she's basically open to a federal investigation or any other type of an investigation into the Smollett case and how it transpired and how it was uh, dismissed. And I think that the federal case is actually going to be fairly strong. And Todd had made a mention before in our second hour about how um, Fox, um, or this decision to um, uh, let him go, was really... They, they they arrested him, they got his DNA sample, they got his fingerprints, they got all this stuff. Now they have all the evidence they need in a federal case on the uh, writing of the, the letter, if he did in fact write that threatening and terroristic type it's, it's letter it's, to And himself. the walls are closing in on Smollett now, yes. right? I mean, everything is starting to close in on him, and all of a sudden the Obamas are involved, and there's a telephone call, and there's a little backroom deal, and oh, by the way, you can investigate me if you want. It's okay. Yes. Now, yeah. I, I want to read something here that was, that it's a quote from We're not Ms. talking Fox. about Obama. We're talking about Michelle, Michelle Obama. Obama. Michelle Obama. Yeah. Right. Just, just the, the number of calls that went in to basically... Things that had nothing to do with, apparently, with the investigation that appeared to have been more aimed at, can you do us a solid here? Right. And, and if, that's what was that, if that's what was happening, that's wrong. And that's what they're investigating. Because when you have these calls that seem to supersede an investigation that appeared to be pretty solid, they need to investigate to see if that was going on. I, I, I'm, say, I'm not saying... But you saying, can't make an assumption of what Michelle Obama said. And, and I know, I'm not saying... Her say, interest would probably have been limited to the interests of Chicago, because... I, 
both her and her husband are very much Chicago uh, residents and care about uh, Chicago. Again, I'm not saying that's what she said. I'm saying that the investigation is being investigated, is being commenced to find out what was said, to see if it was something inappropriate. They've got to figure this out. Now, now Ms. Fox said this. She said, in determining whether or not to pursue charges, prosecutors are required to balance the severity of the crime against the likelihood of securing a conviction. Completely agree with that. Of course. Absolutely agree with that. Okay. Um, And then she said, for a variety of reasons, my office believed the likelihood of securing a conviction was not certain. Here's the problem. What you, are those reasons? <laughs> well, here's the here's the problem. First, you need to talk to your lead prosecutor on the case who said he thought that it was an airtight case, that it was pretty solid. We're going into a break. There's one other area that we got to talk about. Well, I know tease it. Tease well, it. So, so it's what could the chief of police had done? What did he do that could have affected the likelihood of achieving? A conviction in this case, because I think he did something that was inappropriate, and it did affect the prosecutor, and I didn't like it the first time that I saw it. Uh Was it dismissed with prejudice or what? Typically in a felony case, especially in California. Well, let's get that when we come back. Yeah. It's, it, dismissal is not necessarily the end game. There you go. Uh, well, there you go. All right. Yes. So a lot of stuff coming up, case or no case. The latest on Smollett, of course, we're still talking about that. And a lot more. You won't want to miss a minute of the rest of Radio Law Talk right here. All advertising for legal services on Radio Law Talk is strictly for the state or states in which the advertiser is licensed. For more information, go to radiolawtalk.com. Jason Ross back here with Fred Penny, managing attorney from Penny & Associates Injury Lawyers. Now, Fred, what type of cases are you dealing with now, and what sets you apart? Jason, we help people with all types of personal injury cases. We're former insurance company trial lawyers. We understand the other side, which gives us a distinct advantage over our competition. Remember, we don't get paid unless we win. That's Penny & Associates Injury Lawyers with locations throughout California. For a free consultation, go to pennylawyers.com or give them a call 1-800-616-4LAW. That's P-E-N-N-E-Y lawyers.com. This is Denise Dirks. We can represent clients in divorce, legal separation, child and spousal support, custody, termination of parental rights, step-parent adoptions, guardianships, and even conservatorship matters. Call 1-877-886-7186 for a consultation. The law offices of Denise L. Dirks provide family law services in Northern California. When the law affects your family, call 877-886-7186. The family of attorneys at Denise L. Dirks is here to help. I am Cameron Levitt, Chief Operating Officer of Concussion Medical Clinic. California's first concussion medical clinic is now open. As concussions increase each year, there has never been a greater need for concussion specialists. Our physicians at Concussion Medical Clinic are board certified in pediatric neurology and sports medicine and have partnered with universities, hospitals, and rehab clinics to expedite the recovery process. Simply put, we are elevating the standard of care. When you need an expert concussion opinion or concussion care, visit concussionmedicalclinic.com to schedule your appointment. Hi, I'm Frederick Penny of Penny & Associates Injury Lawyers. I bet you're tired of hearing lawyer commercials. So just relax and listen to music for a few seconds.
When you or a family member has been injured, call 800-616-4LAW or see us at pennyandassociates.com. You're listening to RadioLawTalk.com. And now back to your host, Frederick Penny. What an interesting, interesting, interesting alien... Sh- I can't even do it. I can't even imitate Fred by, by saying the words interesting and alien. But we're back here. we got to really wrap this up because we want to get to a case or no case. But what I'm talking about with the Smollett case, about something that the something that the police chief, who was very upset that the case was dismissed, but he has to take some accountability for increasing the difficulty of prosecution. When he held a press conference after Smollett was arrested and basically laid out all of the evidence and treated him as if he was already convicted at that point. Huge problem with that because he just made it immensely more difficult to pick a jury. Yeah, that tainted the jury pool Absolutely. completely. The minute the judge asks a question. So Fox, you... Fox could have made, she... at least in part, her decision to dismiss because she didn't think that Smollett could get a fair trial or that she could get a fair jury. Is it possible that the chief heard rumblings that this might be dismissed and decided to be proactive in saying, look, I've got a rock-solid case here. Well, it's just that his his press conference was made the same day that the 16-count indictment was handed down. Right. So that was before anybody had really looked at this. And when you say that, let's look at some of the problems that arise when a police chief comes out and gives all this evidence. First of all, you're completely obliterating the innocent until proven guilty standard that people have. You're, you are now a governmental actor because they're governmental actors, treating somebody as if they are already guilty, uh, offering your opinion about how terrible it was for him to have done this as an African-American man, using a noose, knowing the significance that that has historically. What it did to the city. Yeah, all, mean, all of that, yeah. and everybody in Chicago is going to see that. What's more is a lot of that opinion and some of the stuff that he said, we don't even know if that evidence is going to be admissible. What if the judge determines that some of that stuff is not admissible? Well, now i got a jury pool or a jury who's sitting there hearing evidence and has already heard inadmissible evidence and asking them to forget it. It's like, it's like asking them to forget the elephant in the room. It's right. impossible. Unring the bell, please. Yeah, yeah. yeah go, right. ahead and, go ahead and swim in the the non-chlorine section of the pool. Right, right. You know, it's it's there. And so that made it more difficult. Mm-hmm. But I do agree, Cal, I do agree that law enforcement officers will do that to help up the ante to prevent, to help put pressure on a prosecutor to keep them from dismissing a case if they think that that might be in the works. That's my theory. And I think from the standpoint of Fox herself, um, when she's looking at this, she's looking at hundreds and hundreds of false reporting every day. There's hundreds of them. And she's, they, a lot of people are getting charged. And this guy's 16 counts may be overkill. It's his first time he's ever gotten in trouble. He he probably made a bad decision, but do we want to ruin his life? And the jury pool may be tainted. So Fox might have just said, you know what? I have to treat him I'm not treating him different than I would all these other hundreds of potential defendants out there. This is his first time. I'm going to dismiss, but I want a consequence. He has to give up the 10000 I agree completely with that, but I think that her inquiry needed to go a step further. 
Because if she was as self-aware enough that based upon the communication, direct communication to her from the attorney for the family of the Smollett family and then the calls from Michelle Obama and anyone else, if she was aware enough to at one point in time even haphazardly say to say, I'm recusing myself, then she should have stuck with that. And if that's her rationale for dismissing the case, she should have been able to say to, to say to somebody, look, maybe this is the correct thing, but the last person who should make that determination and say is me, because my, my opinion is already going to be questioned. That needs to come from somebody else. And it may have been the situation that nobody else at the state's office would wanted to step up. And you know what? That means one thing, Todd. You and I both agree. That's amazing. Let's move on. <laughs> yes. And that's good. and that's going to have to do it for small. Boy, we could spend all day yeah. on this because yes. you know we know that we're both long-winded. Um, but. We're going to move on to what people really want to hear, Case or No Case. Cal. Now it's time to play Case or No Case. Yay! All right. Our I case. wanted to say, Denise, Denise, uh, well, Denise. We'll have to get a new shouting choir you know, in I, I, I will say this. that When we play that, there's that one sound where it goes, yay! Mm-hmm. And it sounds, it sounds like, like it sounds like Denise, and I guarantee everybody thinks it's Denise. It's not, but I'm going to say that it is. No, I think it is. Well, I say so, yay with it because it sounds like me. So, so the only person that's not represented there is me, and I, you know, I think that's discriminatory. Well, you're dismissed. <laughs> you're represented in the fact that you're the last person in points in the game. And so now the question is this. What takes legal precedent, store policy, or the law? Okay. Hmm. I take you now to the great state of Oregon, a state that the lovely Ms. Dirks knows well. A 20-year-old man is suing Dick's Sporting Goods and Walmart. A 20-year-old man is suing Dick's Sporting Goods and Walmart because they refused to sell him a rifle because it was against their new policy. Yes, Tyler Watson is suing the retailers for unlawful age discrimination by refusing to sell a gun to anyone under the age of 21, this after the deadly high school shooting in Parkland, Florida. He's 20. And uh, Oregon law allows residents who are 18 or older to purchase a gun. Other retailers, including L.L. Bean and Kroger, followed the uh, the age restriction by refusing to sell him a rifle Watson claims Dicks and Walmart are in violation of Oregon state laws that prohibit age-based discrimination in places of public accommodation because he can walk into that store anytime he wants it's a place to which the public normally has access and so I would ask you and I think it's uh, Denise's turn to go first I ask you very quickly, because we don't really have a lot of time here, Denise, so I'll just ask you, do you think this might be a case? Well, we only have, we have about I think it sounds seconds. like the perfect kind of a case, to be honest with you. Um, age discrimination, we've got par- private actors, not governmental actors. Uh, we've got Dix and Walmart having a policy within their company that they're not going to sell to people under the age of 21 any kind of firearms. And you've got a state law that allows people... Over 18 and older to be able to purchase and uh, possess firearms. So this is a great kind of a case, and I tell you what, we're out of time, so I'll tell you what I decide right after the break. Once again, Todd gets to think about it. We'll be back with case or no case. <laughs> Food goes in here. Don't go. <laughs> 
All advertising for legal services on Radio Law Talk is strictly for the state or states in which the advertiser is licensed. For more information, go to radiolawtalk.com. Not all law firms have extensive experience in all areas of the law. It's wise to look for firms that have knowledge and understanding in your particular area of concern. So go to ProLawFirms.com. They have listings of attorneys in key areas of practice, such as family law, estate planning, personal injury, bankruptcy, and so forth. When you're looking for a lawyer that has extensive experience in your particular area of need, go to ProLawFirms.com. That's ProLawFirms.com. ProLawFirms.com is not a law firm and does not endorse or recommend any specific law firm. I am Cameron Levitt, Chief Operating Officer of Concussion Medical Clinic. California's first concussion medical clinic is now open. As concussions increase each year, there has never been a greater need for concussion specialists. Our physicians at Concussion Medical Clinic are board certified in pediatric neurology and sports medicine and have partnered with universities, hospitals, and rehab clinics to expedite the recovery process. Simply put, we are elevating the standard of care. When you need an expert concussion opinion, or concussion care. Visit concussionmedicalclinic.com to schedule your appointment. The cost of getting rid of garbage is high and recycling products is lucrative. If you're a business or know of a business that needs an individual compactor or baler, call Northwest Compacting at 888-201-0911. If you already have an industrial compactor, baler, or shredder and need service, don't forget to call Northwest Compacting at 888-201-0911. Northwest Compacting, your full-service industrial compacting and bailing company. Read more about them at northwestcompacting.com. Many women have so many clothes in the closet, but then we go to get dressed and find we have nothing to wear. Ah! We've all been there. We all want to be comfortable and fashionable at the same time, and it's difficult to find clothing that makes that task effortless. But at Letty & Company, you can find trendy, comfortable clothing that is affordable, things you'll want to wear every day. Shop with a purpose online with free shipping. Just go to lettyandcompany.com. USA Radio News with Rick Vincent. President Donald Trump threatens to close down the border between the United States and Mexico if Mexico doesn't stop migrant caravans from reaching the U.S. Speaking from the Hidalgo, Texas port of entry, Carlos Flores on how he regularly visits his family across the border. My kids have barely met their grand, you know, their granddaddy. I haven't even showed them around. And now, you know, having this border, you know, getting shot down, you know, what am I, um, what am I going to tell my kids? You know what, your granddad can come over here no more. Robert O'Rourke formerly kicks off his presidential campaign with three rallies across his home state of Texas today where he came close enough to upset Republican Senator Ted Cruz to generate the national buzz now buoying his 2020 White House bid. Cook County State's Attorney Kim Fox said Friday night she's open to an outside investigation into her office's dramatic decision to dismiss all charges against Empire actor Jossie Smollett. You're listening to USA Radio News. Were you scammed into signing a timeshare contract? And did you miss the part that said you have to pay for your great idea? Not only for the rest of your life, but when you're not here anymore, you get to pass this turkey onto your family for them to pay for the rest of their lives. Thanks, Dad. Don't burden your family down the road, and don't be stuck with expensive timeshare payments forever. Get out of your bad idea, timeshare contract guaranteed, or pay nothing. Call Resort Release today and learn for free how their timeshare ex- 
exit team can help you legally exit your timeshare contract. They've helped thousands of people, and they're A-plus rated with a BBB. So if you feel scammed, get mad, and get out of your expensive timeshare contract right now, guaranteed. Call N-O-W. 800-586-7112. Would you like to get back that full head of hair from years past? Introducing Reveal from GCNLife.com. Beverly Hills dermatologist Dr. Nathan Newman invented Reveal, which contains polypeptides with natural botanicals and no parabens, sulfates, silicones, or dyes for a salon-quality hair growth product. Reveal. Here's Dr. Newman. I have treated a lot of patients who lose their hair and they lose their confidence. We've created a unique set of polypeptides, which we call HPT6. The HPT6 contains the polypeptides from six different plants. The scalp infusion treatment should be used on wet or dry scalp. The Reveal hair care system is designed to be used for men and women alike. Get Reveal at GCNLife.com with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So try Reveal today at GCNLife.com or 844-443-6637. Plus a discount up to 25% off for Reveal at GCNLife.com or 844-443-6637. Go to the website, radiolawtalk.com. You can listen to the show there, and there's a lot of other good information, too. That's radiolawtalk.com. Hi, we're back on radiolawtalk.com, and we are in the middle of a case or no case. Cal, can you give us a recap? Yep, the recap is that a guy in Oregon who was 20 years of age went into a Dick Sporting Goods and wanted to buy a gun on February 20th. They said no, and then put together a full store policy on February 24th that said we will not sell guns to anyone 21 or younger, in other words, 20 or younger, I should say, uh, as a matter of policy. The young man said, yes, but in Oregon, I am legally allowed to own a weapon at the age of 18. And the store said, well, that may be, but we're not going to sell you one. So the question is, what takes precedence, store policy, or state law. Can the young man force the store to sell him a weapon that he is legally entitled to own? And so that was really the the core of the question. And Denise, you were espousing a theory? Uh, yes, uh, but I don't understand why he sued Walmart unless he was actually he denied He did the same thing too. to Walmart after that. that okay. Ran into Walmart again after he did Dick's, went to Walmart and said, hey, I'd like to buy a gun here. I can't get one of Dick's. And they said, oh, by the way, we have the same policy. So I will tell you this. If this isn't a case, then it should be. Because... Um, um, it does seem to violate his right to bear uh, arms, and it does seem to violate specifically um, against him, or it, it does discriminate against him dis- specifically because of his age. And um, so this is what I think. I think it is a case, and I think that what happens is there's some other reason that they did not sell the gun to him, not just based upon age, but in the law there's some kind of a mental health component or some kind of a background check that has to be done or two-week thing, and they can rely on him not being able to pass that, so he loses. Mm. Mr. Kunin, what are your thoughts? All right, so I think that this is a case. All right, so... So, um, so I think that this is a case. Um, 
Um, I don't think that it's an age discrimination case because historically courts have ruled that age discrimination is usually something that prohibits discriminating somebody over a specific age. So age discrimination in employment, you would never get a case, well, they didn't hire me because I was too young. The age discrimination lawsuits are usually always discriminating against somebody who is too old, so the employer said, and I think that that would be here. I do believe, however, that because... And I don't think that this would be a violation of the right to bear arms because they're not governmental actors, they're private entities, and the constitutional rights only protect against the government infringement upon that. But what I will say is that in order to sell firearms, you have to be a licensed gun dealer. And in order to be a licensed gun dealer, you've got to follow the laws of the state. And if there is nothing prohibiting a person from purchasing a gun, the... And, and because you have to get that permission from the state, if there's nothing prohibiting legally a person from purchasing a gun based solely on their age, and they're 20 years old, and my understanding is they're just turning him down because he's 20. There's no other reason, That's right? a, That's the information okay. that I have, yes. That be- and the basis of the, of the concern is over age and not anything else. And by the way, in some states, and Oregon may be one of those, you don't need to undergo a background check to get a long rifle, a hunting rifle. Okay. You just need it for a pistol or something like that. So there may not be that requirement like we have in so, California. So what I'm saying is that the the store, because they have to be licensed by the state to sell that, they have to follow the state law, they do not have the right, I don't believe, to make the law more strict than what it already is. And so I believe that it's a case and that the young man prevails that they have to sell him a gun if he wants it. If if the sole reason is his age, they do not have the right to make that a store policy stricter than what the law allows. Well, that's interesting. I like that. Um, <laughs> Here it comes. No, I do. I, I, I'm fascinated by your responses because I frankly, you know, just agree with, with everything that you said. The problem is it's not a case. And those of you who say it is not a case, that's nobody. So those of you who say it is, that would be Denise and Todd. And... Uh, oh, <laughs> was a case. Oh, wow. <laughs> However... You're only eligible for one point because the case is unresolved, has not made it through the courts yet. So I'm sorry to tell you about that. Watson is asking the court to order Walmart and Dick's Sporting Goods to unlawfully, to stop unlawfully discriminating against 18, 19, and 20-year-old customers at all Oregon locations. He also is seeking punitive damages. He's seeking attorney's fees. Walmart said... Well, that's fine that he wants that, but we are going to go and battle this in court, which is why I couldn't give you a resolution. I mm-hmm. thought it had been resolved. And I said, we're going to battle this in court. We are willing to stand behind our policy, and we're not going to alter it unless ordered to do so by a judge. We this, need to make sure we follow up on this that's case. That's exactly what I was going to yes. say. Yes. This is one I would love uh-huh. to follow up on. I like it, yeah, too. I, I did try to find out if it had been resolved, and the answer was no. It just expanded to include uh, Dick's, Walmart, Kroger, uh, all of the stores that had uh, that had they have the same similar policy policy, and the question is going to become do the private actors have the right to have a policy that's different than the state that's exactly why i was fascinated by it so thank you and congratulations you each get one point and that is case or no case oh 
sorry. I'm sorry. I thought maybe there'd be some <laughs> complaining after the results, but not so. <laughs> All right. On with the show. All right. We are going to turn our heads now to the USS Cole bombing case. This is a case that is really a compelling case because the USS Cole attack um, actually killed 17 sailors and wounded 42 in the Yemeni port of Aden, um, with al-Qaeda claiming a responsibility for this attack. Um, many people believe that Sudan has been housing al-Qaeda and protecting them. So this is a lawsuit by the families of the Americans that were killed in the, that attack against Sudan, trying to say they have harbored these um, terrorists, they're promoting these terrorists, they're funding these terrorists, thus they are responsible for the terrorists. Now, what happened? It was filed in the U.S. court, and they took the complaint, and they served it by mail on the um, uh, embassy, the Sudan embassy, and the suit went all the way through trial, all the way through trial. And what happened? In in U.S. court, it went through trial? Yes, it did, completely. And the court... Um, actually found in favor of all the victims and entered a, a judgment for two for, for 314.0 million dollars in damages against Sudan. So the stage now is that they're trying to collect and enforce um, against Sudanese um, assets. Whether to try send to collect their county marshal over with an order and tack it No, up. Sudan yeah. has banks. They have monies and banks, and some of the banks are affiliated. Yeah, excuse me. Oh, I took it I, seriously. I, I have an order for you, Your Honor. <laughs> yeah, what's your. Yeah. My, my name's uh, Jim Boy. I'd like to do it. Huxtable, I'm, I'm here to serve you with. with uh, I'm here to collect your money for the judgment. Um, you I can mean, just make a check out for $314.1 million. Or I'll do a tilt tap on you. Yes, yes. Exactly. <laughs> We're sending in the sheriffs. We're going to take over your auctions of all your properties. Right. I mean, I can I, I'd be difficult to collect, would it not? No, because Sudan has assets in the United States in banks. So that's what really prompted Sudan to take action here, file an appeal. And it's so interesting that appeal came down. It said it was good. And then we get to the U.S. Supreme Court. And the U.S. Supreme Court overrules, actually overturns, excuse me for using the wrong words, and dismisses this lawsuit in its entirety. Based on? Based upon not serving the right entity. So the process of service of the complaint was not done correctly. So the marshal did play a role. (laughs) Yes. And it's so interesting here because that raises the question, who do you serve when you are suing another country? Who do you serve, Todd? Well, you know, the king of Sudan. (laughs) it's, It's difficult. I mean, you can't just like tie your complaint to a balloon, set it off, and wherever it lands, it was there, you know. And um, certainly you can't sue your, or you can't serve your own embassy in the other country, that's correct? That's true. Because I, I that's I not service. Look, uh, service on a foreign country 
is is pursuant to either a treaty with that country, and if they don't have a treaty applicable to that, then it is often handled with assistance from the State Department or the Office of International Judicial Assistance. Hmm. And and you would need to contact the State Department and the Ouija. That's kind of funny. It's like a Ouija board. Um, You would need to contact either of those two to find out what steps need to take place to effectuate competent service. It appears that didn't happen. Hey, stay with us because we've got a lot more entertaining and informational things for you to uh, listen to. 855-LAW-RADIO if you want to call or tweet us at Radio Law Talk. You are listening to Radio Law Talk on RadioLawTalk.com where we stream live and have all past episodes and on your favorite radio station. We thank you. We'll be right back. Don't go away. All advertising for legal services on Radio Law Talk is strictly for the state or states in which the advertiser is licensed. For more information, go to radiolawtalk.com. Hear past episodes of Radio Law Talk on radiolawtalk.com. Just click on the podcast tab. Happy listening. You are listening to Radio Law Talk. And we are talking about the USS Cole bombing case that was dismissed by the U.S. Supreme Court. So the question becomes, if you are suing another country in the United States, how do you properly serve the complaint? In this case, it could be by treaty. There is a treaty. That is known as the Hague Service Convention. It's more properly known as the Hague Convention on Service of Process Abroad, which is a long name for it. But it's been in existence since 1965, and there are lots of members. And you have to serve in accordance with that treaty, and all of the members that have signed on to that treaty have to agree that that's the method by which they will accept service of process. And that's really important. However, in this case, Sudan was not a member, so now we have to look at a whole different method to properly serve the complaint. Right, Todd? Yes, we do. Now, what we talked about going into the break, the Office of International Judicial Assistance. Now, the the acronym being Ouija, Ouija, almost like a Ouija board. Um, you know, and, and so the way service is affected is both you and the defendant place your hands on a little board, and then you go over, are you going to admit guilt or no? No, that's whichever, not it. That's not how no. it goes? Oh, no, no? Oh, okay. Sorry, that's a spiritual medium. No, um, the, uh, the Office of International Judicial Assistance is what helps with service pursuant to the Hague Treaties, okay? So if there's no treaty, then you go to the State Department, and the State Department helps. Now, I wish I could say that this is the process, and I can't, and here's why. There are 195 countries in the world, 193 of which are recognized as member states of the United States, or of the United Nations. The two countries called Holy See, that's S-E-E, and the state of Palestine are observer states, but not members of the United Nations. Each one of these 195 countries has their own set of laws, has their own set of rules and regulations, has their own set of how you're supposed to do things. Denise, have you ever gone to multiple jurisdictions in different counties in in your law practice? I do. I I cover 10 right now, currently. And, And are they uniform exactly, the filing requirements in each county, or does each county have their own little quirks in the way they like things done? Every county is different, and every county is difficult okay. <laughs> in their own ways. And you know what? 
The same thing is true with every country, and the entity that helps you navigate that would be the State Department, because the State Department is the one who works and interacts on behalf of the United States with each one of these individual countries, 195 of them, and so you would go to the State Department, you would say, this is the entity, this is the nation we want to uh, effectuate service of process on, and you would work with the State Department to make sure that happens. I can't give you a one-size-fits-all, because everybody's got different policies as to how that happens. But in this case here, I mean, getting all the way to the Supreme Court, a $314.1 million judgment, and then to find out that where you really messed up was out of the starting blocks. Can you imagine the resources that were wasted in this case? It makes me sad. That's like standing on the podium, about ready to get your gold medal for winning the 100-meter dash, and somebody comes up and says, oh, we have video evidence that it was a false start. Oh, no, no, no. It's worse than that. (laughs) It's it's, you don't even belong on the team. You didn't make the qualifiers. Yes, yes. Right? But the question is, is that on the lawyer then? Should the lawyer not be the one who would know how to properly do that? In this case, it would be the lawyers, plural, because it wasn't just one. You bet. Yeah. You bet that would be the, the lawyer's problem. And I'd like to say something because I wanted to do something anecdotal. Um, I w- did a, um, a mini pupillage in England in my day, and I worked for a barrister. And in that, the barrister represented the English defendants that had um, multiple judgments against them for asbestos. And it was cases out, it was like three or four class action cases out of Texas. It was all the way over to England to enforce this judgment. And think of all the time and resources for three class action suits. And it gets before the the court in England. And what do they decide? They decide it's not enforceable because the, the judge who made the decision in those cases also set in as settlement conference judge. Thus, he wasn't biased. Thus, he got uh, information that he should not have gotten if it had just been the trial judge. And it was thrown out at that level in the other country. Wow. So I just wanted everybody to kind of think about the impact and the lost resources that has occurred just in the Sudan case. That this, is on the is what This is what I don't... <laughs> Here's what I don't understand about this, and if I read the opinion from the Supreme Court, maybe they clear it up. But a question I have is, um, I mean, clearly Sudan did not first come to the ball game, so to speak, with this suit when it reached the Supreme Court level. You know, when there was a trial adjudication and and a trial going on and a judgment against Sudan, Sudan was involved at that stage – you would think, you know, arguing against why damages should be not this, why we're not guilty of what they say, why we shouldn't be liable, and they go back and forth with all this stuff. And then you go to the appeals process with the Court of Appeals, in which Sudan is a part, is a is a plaintiff or a, a participant there. And then it goes to the Supreme Court. And my question is, at what point during the trial process did Sudan raise the issue that we were never properly served? We talk about this thing wasting so much money on the... Why did it go on from there? Why didn't they raise this issue? And there's a fundamental principle, which is objections that are not made at the trial level are waived on appeal. 
And this is such a good point, Todd, because um, there was only one justice that abstained from this, not abstained, that um, disputed that decision, and he voted in favor of the victims, and that was Clarence Thomas. And what he said was, there is no evidence in this case suggesting that Sudan's embassy declined the service package addressed to its foreign minister. Thus, they had a part in the trial. They actually did engage with the trial. They made appearance in the trial, it appears. And so I, I totally agree. It, it, what a huge question li- it, living out there. It would seem like constructive service. And so, again, if Sudan never raised the issue at the trial level, hey, we weren't properly served. We want to go illegal. ahead and, and nip this one in the bud right now and get rid of it. Well, how can they raise the issue on appeal as a as a matter of as an issue of first appearance and maybe they maybe they did raise it and it was just denied it was something that that followed all the way through i don't know but i, I that would be an interesting um that would be an interesting that would decision take us to, to take read. a look at yeah we would have to literally look at the u.s supreme court's decision and pick it apart i think and and look at yeah. what was raised and what wasn't raised on appeal now cal are we going to do quick takes? Well, my thinking was I would like to, and so let's uh, let's go ahead and do quick takes. All right, I have a quick take, and I'm going to start it out with a slightly altered refrain from a popular holiday song. And it is, and pay close attention to how I change it, Santa is making a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's Avenatti or nice. And Mr. Michael Avenatti, I think you're getting coal this year in that stocking. That's my quick take. All right, Denise. My quick take is don't waste your time or resources unless you properly serve your complaint and get a judgment that's enforceable. That's my quick take. Try to figure it out beforehand somehow. Get it right, right, people. Get it right. Save a little bit of time because Boy, finding out at the end, finding having it short circuited at the end is just, I mean, uh, yeah, that, that's uh, all, that's almost as that's almost as bad as you know, <clears throat> Ray finding Luke Skywalker and handing him the lightsaber and having him just toss it over his shoulder like it didn't mean anything. But that gets me on a completely separate rant. <laughs> and I have right, and I have one simple quick take. If you're a Walmart employee, don't call the old guy the old guy. <laughs> you don't work for Walmart, do you, Cal? Uh, no. All right, so yet. we're good. Not yet. <laughs> Based on the way this show is going, it's always possible. But so far, we're holding together. Remember, we'll be back next week, and Fred should be joining us next week, and we'll have a lot more entertainment for you all out there. We're going to try to get it all there for everyone. Thanks for joining us today. We got about, what, 20 seconds yeah. Left there, yeah, Cal. Yeah, For Denise that, yeah. Dirks and Cal Hunter, I'm Todd Kunin, and on behalf of Fred Penny, for whom I have been sitting in, thank you for joining us this week, folks. We'll see you next week on another exciting alien-oriented episode of Radio Law Talk. And don't forget, all past episodes available right now on RadioLawTalk.com. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week.
You have been listening to Radiolawtalk.com, a copyrighted presentation of Radio Law Talk Incorporated. Radio Law Talk Incorporated.